This episode is brought to you by the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Sometimes everything just clicks. Like when your favorite song comes on at just the right time. When there's two tickets left for the show. When everyone in the crew can agree on what album to listen to. When everything just feels right. That's the feeling of the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Available with all-wheel drive, Qi wireless charging, and advanced JBL sound system. It's everything you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Learn more at toyota.com. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Find the entertainment you love with Contour TV and Contour Stream Player. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. Good morning, Honey Hole England. <laughs> honey Hole Hangout. hangout. Honey Hole Hangout. It's the same company. It don't matter. H3. Honey Hole Hangout. H3. H3. Yeah. Oh. We have a special guest. Yes, we do. Would you like to introduce yourself or would you like a grand introduction? Uh, I can introduce myself. Hello, anglers and fishers and... Uh, Hunters, I guess. My name is Hunter Barcroft. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Um, looking forward to it. Cool, man. We're excited yeah. you're here. Yeah, we're happy you're here. It's regular crew, landing, Cliff, Zach, Ian, and uh, what's up? And Hunter. And we have a, another guest. We have us. a listener that can't hear Ian because we don't have another <laughs> mic. <laughs> We have we have a live audience today. Yeah, we do. We do. Kind of recorded Wait, who's the other room. listener? So oh, that's right, I forgot Ian didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> my my buddy Jordan's in the garage with us. What up, dude? He, he said what you. up, said, but you can't hear him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hunter brought a whiskey. Uh what are oh, we yeah, drinking? Yeah. We gotta pause it. Yeah. Called Rowan's Creek. It's a Kentucky bourbon mm-hmm. uh, made from Willet. They have a couple of different ones, but this is one of their um, one of their small batch whiskeys. Yeah, because I'm familiar with Willet, but mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard of this. So Rowan's Creek and Noah's Mill are the, they're like two step down like small batch uh, distilleries, and they're both very very good. What was the uh, other one you said? Rowan's Creek and uh, Noah's Mill. Noah's Mill. How hard is this to find? Uh, I found this one at Specs today, actually, um, and they had one other bottle. Is it normally hard to find, or did you it's, kind it's, of get I lucky? Got th- I got there, and I saw it, and I bought it. Okay. <laughs> but like, you, you might find a bottle every now and then, but it's relatively hard. It is. Gotcha. Um, What's the damage on a bottle? Uh, I think this one was 47. Okay. Oh, that's okay. not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Um, it's probably one of the best bourbons I've ever smelled. Like, it it's really like good. nutty and fruity. It's It's crazy. It's very good. We've also had Wild Game Snacks, mm. this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cliff, uh, tell us about our Wild Game Snacks we had today. So, Hunter actually brought us some some meat sticks. Buck sticks. That we haven't, I haven't torn into yet, but it looks like someone had. And then I sliced up the deer heart from Landon's dough, and I pan-seared that for everyone. It was we, freaking we great. that right before good. the podcast. Yeah. It was very delicious. However, um, this bourbon is amazing. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. So I don't want to steal your, your heart's thunder, 
Cliff. It was the best heart I've ever had. You got the bourbon over there? No, that's Buffalo Trace. Oh, I'll grab something a little bit. It yeah, is amazing, it, though. It's really you good, wanna, Cliff. You want to catch COVID? <laughs> <laughs> I'll run my chances. Ooh, that does smell good. It's right. The bourbon kills it. You just just have to drink a bunch. Just of, kills uh, a little bit of it. Yeah. Ooh, you have to drink a bunch of right? bourbon. Ooh, it's like that one smooth. is dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one. This is might dangerous. be one of my favorites that we yeah. tried. Yeah. Not gonna lie, it's I great. like that smoke on the back end. Too. Yeah, but it has like almost like a caramel apple flavor. Oh man, it's so, so see, good. Let's see. Um, made in bottles, uh, made and bottled. Um, in and this uh, is in a proper. Kentucky, this is a. Here we go. It's a charred oak. Um, it's aged in charred oak, so that's your smoky that's the flavor. Smoke. Mm. But it's mean. a it's a true Kentucky bourbon. It is. Yeah. Okay. Because well, yeah, um, it's not one of them. Knockoff Texas bourbons. Nope. That's a real deal. deal. Why is it a knockoff Texas bourbon? Because in order for it to, to actually be a bourbon, it has to be made in this Kentucky. This is a false thing. That is not true at all. No, that is true. No, there is actually a bourbon association, and the only things that has to happen is it has to be aged in charred white oak barrels. It has to be a brand new barrel, and it has to be aged for at least nine months. It might be four months, but it has to be aged for at least a certain amount of time. It does not matter where it is kept at all, as long as it's made in America, and it is made with at least a mash bill that is 51% corn. Now, See, for it to be a Kentucky bourbon, <laughs> it has to be made in Kentucky. Exactly. <laughs> Kentucky bourbon so I am, But a bourbon does not. I'm going to say that that's a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> it's not hogwash. It's the actual no, law. Because, it's the law. Because think all about right, it. If right. it's going to be a We're scotch. We're still on air. Oh, my God. If it's like going to be a from his phone. <laughs> I, did the okay. I would like everybody to know I did not read that from my phone. I know bourbon. Or I know what makes bourbon. I've, I've never seen clips so far. Though. Moving on. I'm going to say. Moving on. It's like champagne. It has to. There's varieties of champagne throughout the, the world. They're called sparkling but, wines but true champagne has to come from champagne france champagne does bourbon does not kentucky scotch bourbon does. has to be made in scotland no right. japanese are be, making scotch but it's for called, it to but truly to be no, a scotch tr- tr- for real and J- japanese make really good scotch they do. they're bringing the materials from scotland to right. japan to make it and it has to it, say somewhere on it that it was not made in scotland um but they can technically call theirs a whiskey without an e because of it to be made in uh, bourbon has to be made in the U.S. I know that's a fact. Yeah, but it does not have to be made in Kentucky at all. Yeah, but who drinks bourbon made. outside of Kentucky? Like, it does not. You, you know what I mean? Can put it's that, like you can put that bourbon. Roll, <laughs> hard rule. Wait, hold on. You can bourbon pull, is I'm made gonna in say Kentucky. This. I'm going to say needed. this. And I think you guys will, I think you guys again, will agree. Say it again, Cliff. Bourbon has to be made in Kentucky. Wrong Drinking bourbon <laughs> outside of Kentucky. <laughs> I hit the wrong button. I <laughs> said it twice and it was still the wrong button. <laughs> right. well, he went for the green one. That's the one I pushed. Yeah, two well, I went for the C4. Yeah, so from his perspective, the green one is the uh-huh. C4. Yeah. That was very nice. Uh, you're wrong, but if you're right, I would agree with you. <laughs> Cliff, is this the hill you're going to die on? This is the hill I'm going to die on. Oh man, okay. We got some. Qu- oh, we review uh, rank honey pots. Uh, I'm gonna give this five honey pots. I'm not gonna lie. Five. If I every time I see this, I would buy it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I I do. 
buy it every time I see it. So yeah, this is awesome. Cliff, what about you? I'm curious about I'm your... I'm going to do a 4.8. A 4.8? 4.8. It's a high one for Jordan, me. since you're drinking it? No, he's drinking... Uh, no, no, I sw- I he swapped the boat. He swapped that. Yeah. A five. Jordan gives it a five. I'm gonna I'm gonna go like I'm gonna have to go four eight, four point eight. Success. Success. Yeah. It's a good, this is it's a good the bourbon. highest <coughs> rated. rated one. Especially the price point it's at, knowing that I have a chance of finding it. You know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Might be one in a million, but at least there's a chance. This is so good. There was, there was still another bottle over at the specs on Ben Terra. I know. I'm gonna fight Ooh. for it tomorrow. Uh-huh. It's gonna be gone by the time you get there. I know. Probably. So, we got some questions. Which which specs you find it at? Off of Bandera Highway. Oh, I work right over there. Ooh, yeah. Run after work. <laughs> That's right. So Just watch out for the people in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh gosh. Okay. Hunter, apparently you have a groupie. Oh boy. Uh, someone asked F Fly Fishing Hunter, "Can I have your number?" Uh. Uh, you can ask my wife. It was your wife who asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our other question is, how do you scout for fish or game? Man, that's a very open-ended question. It is. And two very different yeah. angles. I would say the first thing before you even get to the scouting part is understanding the species that you're targeting like if you're going if you're trying to find bass spots understand the type of environment the bass like to live in and mm-hmm. that could be like a google search like google search bass where fishing where do bass live yeah where do bass live <laughs> you know what there's, there's tons some demographics wow. out there that would definitely fit that <laughs> so you're good yeah if you need to google where do bass live google where do bass yeah. live um or trout or whatever you're trying to do that first mm-hmm. and then i would try to you know Look for areas like that or find, use online mapping to find areas that you could even search for those types of habitat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get used to driving around a lot if you're going to do that, though, depending on where you live, especially. And not every place you see on a Google map is going to pan out. Yeah. Nope. But the fun part is looking. Uh, Hunter, you do a lot of scouting and fish a lot of different areas. And I know that I fish and Zach fish. Um, what would you say? Google Earth is your friend. I've used it a lot, and like Zach said, it's it's not always going to pan out. I've done two two hour trips before where it didn't pan out on oh this man. spot that I've. Uh, and now, like to. even like your online mapping services, they're normally kind of old too. Mm-hmm. So like, whereas a stream and stuff isn't going to change, but if you're looking for like game animals, property lines change. Uh, there's always land development stuff that's going on, and that stuff might change how you're going to approach it as well. So just be on, would, on the lookout for... I would fight you on uh, streams don't change, though, because I've used Google Maps a lot to look at a hole, and then I get there, and it's dry. Oh, yeah. No, like I, I think, crazy, I think crazy like things... Water I, like I, was, <laughs> I was meaning more as, like, the like actual like how it flows through i i, I yep. do agree that things it, that they will dry up and stuff some of them but like your major <laughs> rivers don't dry up yeah, yeah. Like um, the chattahoochee is always going to flow the the chattahoochee is not in texas cliff i know but we're just saying <laughs> we're international in man yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i don't drive I, that far i would say too uh kind of on that note though 
check your local laws when it comes to hunting and fishing. Like before you do any scouting, mm -hmm. because that definitely changes how you scout. In Texas, we're fortunate. Mm -hmm. Almost every major waterway as Texas residents, we own. As long as there's a public crossing, we can get access to it. Every state is not like that. Mm -hmm. um, so before you even start scouting or think about where you're going to head, make sure you can actually be there legally. So right. I paid the I paid the price in Colorado for that. Oh, um, oh. what happened? So I <clears throat> went under went into Colorado. This was my first year ever picking up a fly rod. First year fishing in Colorado. Um, went into Colorado. Expecting all the wa the public waterways, <laughs> just like this crossings. is my oasis. Yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I can get into the river here and just walk up and down. And I was like, man, this is really nice. Nobody is around here. <laughs> <laughs> like fifteen minutes later, a, a police officer comes and runs me off. So that's always fun. Did you get ticketed or I did, did not? I told off? him I was like, I'm from Texas. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So <laughs> oh, sorry, like, that's get really out of here. nice. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, it's a crappy situation, but. Definitely could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was interesting. Yeah, because <laughs> there it's the stream bed is owned privately. Half, Correct. it's like literally you draw a line in the middle of the stream bed, and if the half that you're on is attached to a public road, you're good. But the second you cross that, or if your fly gets stuck in the tree on the other side of the riverbed, you can't go get it. You have to break it off or hope it comes. Mm -hmm. It's an $18 game changer, though. <laughs> <laughs> I will risk it. $150 ticket for yeah. an $18 game changer. Yeah, right. Um, I would say, but the underrated comment of this whole conversation is, I don't, you have to be willing to put in the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. that's part of the fun of doing it and finding spots that are, are different. Be willing to put in the time, go Go find the spots and then fish them and then don't tell anyone else about them. And then also be willing to, on your same point of like, be willing to put in the time, be willing to just watch. Like, even if you go out there, like if you're not going, if you're going for game or even fish, fishing's a little bit different because you can always take a fly rod. But like, even just go out there, if you're going for game, go out there during the off season and see if like anything's like moving through there or mm -hmm. anything like that. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to have a rifle or a bow or a fly rod to be doing the activity that you want to be doing. Yeah. yeah it makes it more fun, but it's still, I count my scouting trips just as much as hunting trips. And, and it makes, and it makes like when the trip does pay off, it makes it all that, yeah, that, all that much sweeter. better. Because you put yeah. in the effort. And, like, also, too, sometimes those trips we go out there with no intention of doing anything, like, they're really enjoyable. They're really relaxing. But also, like, you just feel like a connection to everything. Correct. You So um, we've st we're still doing the uh, contest for, like, our 10 reviews. Uh-huh. We're at like five or six? We're at four right okay. now, but we got a new one, and we've been reading them all, so I wanted to read this new one. Nice. Plus, it's a solid ego boost. <laughs> so, yeah, makes me um, feel good. Hunter, you'll like this. I think everyone else is, read uh, it. has read it, but uh, this one's titled, That's Pretty Neat. I've always <laughs> been a man of lofty dreams. I dream of sitting with my friends, drinking whiskey, and talking about wildlife. These guys are living my dream, and I love listening in. Every episode of this podcast needs to be stored in some Smithsonian-style Texas Parks and Wildlife Museum in, mar in a marble building behind bulletproof glass, flash photography prohibited, and lowered into an underground vault every night. This is a national treasure, a cultural relic, a beacon of hope that represents everything good about fishing and hunting culture in Texas. Often hilarious. 
widely varying, intriguing topics, the right amount of respect and honor to wildlife, and the different shades and shapes of folks that are listening. And I've learned a great few things here and there. So we appreciate the review. That was very nice. Maybe yeah. I teared up a little bit. Yeah. Just give him the prize right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you guys want to write a review, good, bad, or ugly, we'll yeah. read it on air. Exactly. And then you will be entered into a, yep. a contest. Once we get 10 written reviews, we will uh, draw a name and send a pack of goodies valued anywhere from 35 to a million dollars yeah. and if you have fun wow. share us with your friends <laughs> let people know about it closer to the 35 range <laughs> <laughs> so. um but thanks for the review yeah really appreciate the ego boost this week it was nice um well we don't have any more questions. do you guys want to like talk about anything that has happened for uh, you all the my wife and i went fishing last week on the on the uh, guad on the drama lupe on the drama lupe on the Chattahoochee. <laughs> it's right north of the sandbar. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all the Kentucky bourbon is made. It's only forty five minutes from San Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I uh, caught a couple of fish. Kendall did not. Uh huh. Um, is Kendall still on that that? Uh, I know, like the high it, of it. No, like the has has Kendall been very successful out on the quad? Yeah, yeah. Like the la- last season, the last time we went out last season, she outfished me. Um, but uh, she does great trout fishing. Um, what was the? It was just you know, it's just hard. Sometimes the grout, the the quad kind of takes a a couple days to figure out. Yep, I have no idea. I think it. I think it might be or Ian. Hey, Ian, Ian, what are you doing? What are you doing, buddy? Dude, I am moving stuff in my house around. Is it pretty loud? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm on this podcast, but I'm just going to redecorate my apartment real quick or my house real quick. I <laughs> moving his micro. I was like, dang, that's that's a loud hat yeah. he's got. <laughs> Sorry about that, moving. guys. Go ahead. <laughs> You're good. Um, yeah, she I mean she does great, uh, but this time, no, I hooked into four. Um, it ended up landing two, mm-hmm. two good size ones. Nice, but. You know, I haven't done anything exciting, just working and holiday stuff. So spending time with fam. Yeah. Went back up to the bird farm after or Lamita mm-hmm. after Thanksgiving and uh, went out with a group of hunters. They got 40-esque chuckers. Three pheasant and six quail. Mm-hmm. So they had a very successful trip. Mm-hmm. It's fun to just get up there and watch the dogs and stuff. Yeah. I wasn't hunting. I was more or less learning mm-hmm. some stuff. But what did you learn? What's one big takeaway from that trip? That wasn't that type of learning. Uh, what? <laughs> what, <if? laughs> what type of learning? <laughs> that, what? It, it's... Uh, just different stuff. Like find out like who you are as a person. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I get that. Went up there. <laughs> <laughs> Set in a sweat lodge. <laughs> On the banks of the Chattahoochee. <laughs> <laughs> Learned how to do the watermelon crawl. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> you guys ready to get into your to your articles? Let's do it. Who's first? Oh, let's see. Are we doing the... Wait, is this just, just general? That's general laughter. Okay. I wouldn't hit that one. It's a really long soundbite. Oh, we have new soundbites for you ex- guys, too. I'm excited, guys. It's like, 
chomping at the bit to oh. push one of these. Oh yeah, Landon coming in as my backup. You you can do C four. I can get through mine pretty right. quick. You guys ready? Oh, C four a bit loud. All right, I let's don't see. know. Let's Be see prepared. what happens. Okay, here we go. <laughs> that was great. Oh, it's still going. No, oh, that's Ian moving. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I pulled an article. As many of our listeners may know, may not. I don't know what you follow on Instagram, social media. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it's us. But uh, everyone's probably seen how the uh, Army Corps put a put gave a denial for the Pebble Mine. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I pulled an article in regards to that. And I'm actually going to read this article in its entirety because it's pretty small. But it's from um, American Rivers, which is a website online. (laughs) It's a website. That's where they go. (laughs) Um, So while while uncertainties about Bristol's Bay's future remain, one thing is certain – uh, American Rivers will continue to support ing- indigenous communities, conservation organizations, and anglers who oppose the project, meaning uh, Pebble Mine. Like a zombie, the Pebble Mine project in the Bristol Bay watershed of Alaska has been the project that will just not die. We thought the project was dead back in 2014 when the Obama Min- Administration Environmental Protection Agency Uh, preemptively vetoed it using its authority under the Clean Water Act. However, the Trump administration, EPA, uh, reversed the veto in 2019 after initiating a fast-tracked environmental review process in 2018. Last month, the EPA announced uh, the results of that environmental review process Um, Revising its earlier findings, the agency concluded that the project poses no serious environmental risk uh, to the rivers of Bristol Bay watershed, a dubious claim to be assured. It seemed that the EPA was paving the way for the U.S. U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to issue permits for the project. Fast forward to this week, in a surprise move, the uh, Army Corps... Uh, sent a letter to Northern Dynasty, the company that wants to build the mine, stating that it must figure out how it will mitigate for all direct and indirect impact to rivers in the Bristol Bay watershed. This letter follows vocal criticism of the project by President Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., as well as Fox News personality, Tucker Carlson, who have both fished in Bist- Bristol Bay. Another uh, surpri- In another surprise move, Alaska's two U.S. Senators, Lisa Murkowski, Murkowski and Dan Sullivan, uh, impressed strong support for the Corps' standing, uh, stunning turnabout, turnabout. While uncertainties about Bristol Bay's future remain, uh, one thing is certain. American <laughs> Rivers will continue to support indigenous communities, conservation organizations and anglers who oppose this project until it goes away for good. We include the rivers of Bristol Bay in our Americans most endangered rivers report three times once in 2006, 2011 and 2018. We will continue to help our partners keep the pressure on until 
This pristine, pristine watershed is safe from harm. And then it kind of goes into like some of the like uh, other rivers that I can't pronounce their names too. And then, but okay, let me let me ask you this: um, Is d- does this make it dead in the water? Because I listened to a podcast about the whole Bristol Bay thing where they lined it out like step, time, by, step. step by step. What's happened? What's going on? And basically, the conclusion I got from it was like. It's just like win loss, win loss. You can appeal everything, you know. It's like it's never going to go away. Is this something that's like nail in the coffin, or is this something that's just going to be appealed? I don't take it as a nail in the coffin per se, but it's pretty said, close to dead in the water, though. They said that the Northern Dynasty Company has to figure out how to mitigate any direct uh, or indirect uh, issues that might mm-hmm. arise. So if they can figure out a way to mitigate that, then I guess they can move forward. So the the, the Corps of Engineers essentially kind of de- – they didn't stop it permanently. They just kind of delayed it. They put a it. big delay on it. But the delay is essentially like you who want to mine here, if you can figure out a way to handle these situations that might arise, we will We will issue. We Correct. will reconsider. Okay. <clears throat> Right. I don't think it was a promise to reissue, but how are you going to account for any direct or indirect issues that might happen? That's why I say... Especially a mine was like the second largest open pit mine in the world. Yeah. That's that's why I think that it's a a major speed bump for them, for sure. But who knows how major that is? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they could go... They could probably appeal it, honestly. They put... They could appeal it. They could probably line yeah, some right. politicians' pockets to look the other way on some stuff, and then we're back to square one. Okay, so um, the Army Corps of Engineers, and this might be a silly question, but this might help out some other listeners as well. Um, the Army Corps of Engineers, what are they exactly? Are they like uh, an agency created by the government? Or are they actually part of the Army that is just like they have these... Uh, spots around the nation because I know we have some here in Texas as well. You know, yeah. I should actually know this the answer to that because uh, my uncle is actually one of the top people mm-hmm. for the Army Corps of Engineers, but I don't ever talk to him gotcha. about that type of stuff. And anytime I do, he's really hard to get a hold of because he just stays busy. Yeah. So I've never really like researched and dove deep into that, but. It's my understanding he's a civilian now. Okay. He does have a military background, but he's technically a civilian now, so it might be a civilian organization that has ties with military. Right. Or they just call the Army Corps. Hunter, do you on... know? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm not too familiar with that. Jamie, pull that up. <laughs> Anybody? Uh, that up? Uh, yeah. Jordan's oh, we have a Jamie. His name is Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, get on that. You know how the NSA will have like civilian contractors and they will yeah, have uh, military people or mm-hmm. people part of the agency? I think it's a lot like that. Okay. As far as to what degree, I have no idea because I know he was a part of it while he was technically in the Army. And I know he's a part of it now that outside he's of outside of the Army. Gotcha. So he's definitely affiliated with the Army in some way. So according to Jordan and Wikipedia, no, this is the Army Corps of Engineers page. <laughs> uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the USACE, is an engineer formation of the United States Army. There are three primary mission areas 
uh, Engineer Regiment Military Construction and Civil Works. Mm. Okay. So it is a part They're of... They're an engineering branch of the Army. Right. Correct. Is what it sounds and like. And they take care of several things. Like, I know they take a care of dams here. Exactly, yep. Yeah. Stuff like that. And clearly, um, they they are in charge of this part of Pebble Mine. Cool. That, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for bringing that. Yeah, that was. I, I was hoping you would bring that because I know that's definitely a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Big so, win. Big win. Um, cool. Next segment, right? Moving on? Yeah, I'll go. All right, guys. Let's hit it with On Patrol. <laughs> All right, so let me give you this the timeline of how I decided to go with this article. Let's do it. Okay. So I was uh, reading about a big poaching bust that happened in, um, was it Nevada? Sorry. I think it was Nevada. Uh, Nebraska. Nebraska. That's one of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there was like a big poaching bus in Nebraska that mm. – um, with Bomar. With Bomar, yeah. Yeah. And so, so how I, does the poaching bus work? A bunch of people on it? Um, so that's a whole other complicated deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Josh and Sarah Bomar are okay. like kind of two famous hunters um, and like fitness people like Instagram and YouTube and like pretty big in hunting and fishing. Um, they have been indicted on uh, some Lacey Act violations. Okay. That got me interested in what the Lacey Act actually is. Okay. Um, because I was like, hmm, I wonder what this is. And I started digging into it, and I was like, whoa, this is actually a lot. Yeah, I've heard of it. I have no clue what it is. Okay. Or, I mean, like, yeah, no clue. So uh, they were indicted um, on for a couple Lacey Act violations on, like, a hunting ranch. I think that they are partially involved in mm-hmm. um, where they were, like, taking animals without the appropriate tags. They were hunting near baited areas, um, things like that. They're also previously famous for, they're also previously famous for um, a bear hunting uh, video that they produced for YouTube where I guess he killed a bear with a spear and there was a national, uh, reaction to that mm-hmm. it was in canada and uh that made spear hunting illegal that incident made spear hunting in this province of canada illegal okay because of the natural intention to this because they made a video out about it put it on youtube so lot, their youtube video created this law where now spear hunting is illegal in can in this province of canada gotcha correct um and so I was looking into that, and I was going to report on this specific poaching incident. Then I started deep diving into the Lacey Act, and then I found this great article um, from OutdoorLife.com, which is actually a really cool website, and I recommend people go to figure out. This article was published 10 hours ago So because I was looking to— Hot do, off the press. Hot yeah. off the press. Bring in the heat. Uh, Joe <laughs> uh, Genzel uh, wrote it on OutdoorLife.com. Pretty cool website. I'm, they have a lot of good articles and as detailed as in-depth as this article is, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate, I'm definitely going to go check out some of their other stuff. Cause, what was the name of it one more time? Uh, OutdoorLife.com. Cool. And all of this, like on this article, all these blue underlined are links to where they're linking to where they found yeah, all this the, information. Yeah, sources. Yeah. Yeah. So they're sourcing everything and making it easy for you to like. So I kind of like fell down this rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so... 
Uh, the Lacey Act was signed in 1900 by President William McKinley. Okay. It protects plants, fish, and animals, um, and criminally penalizing those who violate its provisions. Uh, it prohibits the importation of invasive or harmful species or their introduction to the environment. For example, zebra mussels to like a lake. Really? Yes. Okay, so they're in charge of that, or the Lacey Act is in charge of that as well. And it is a federal law. And, yeah. The way that the puzzle works together, and this is a really long article. I don't want to read it for you guys. Um, and I like cut half of it out, and I still don't want to read it because it's really long. Um, and I so I recommend you guys go read this article. But the way that the Lacey Act is involved is uh, states manage wildlife for their state. Um, and the way the Lacey Act is introduced to that is if you take an animal across state lines, you can be federally prosecuted. So, for example, if you take zebra mussels from Texas and put them into another Texas lake, then you are going to be prosecuted by the state. But if you take zebra mussels from Texas to Oklahoma, you cross state lines, it's now a federal offense because you've taken invasive species illegally, cross state lines, and you can be um, punished federally for it. Okay. And that all falls under the Lacey Act jurisdiction kind of. Yes, that all falls under the Lacey Act um, window. And uh, this article is really cool because they give a lot of really good examples. Um, the most common way that people break the Lacey Act is they poach an animal, illegally kill an animal in a state, and they transport that animal across state lines. Or if they bring an animal into the U.S. illegally, it's um, unless the game has federal protections like migratory birds. So that is kind of a different deal. So like so migratory, okay. Yeah, migratory birds are a little bit different because they're federally managed. Um, so if you kill a deer in Texas illegally, cross state lines, it's a Lacey Act violation. Okay. Um, but if you kill a duck in Texas, I think if you kill a duck illegally in Texas, okay, so it's still falling. Under, yeah, underneath yeah, that. yeah. Um, <laughs> the Lacey Act is triggered when a violation of state law occurs, the illegal take of an animal, and the animal is transported across state lines. Um, violations also occur on federal land when the animal is transported from the state of violation or a guide service is involved in violation of state or federal laws during a hunt. So this goes into if you go hunt with an outfitter and they're not licensed properly, that is also a Lacey Act that you are personally liable for. So as the consumer, as the client, you can be liable if Correct. the... Yeah, because you should have done your due. The it, the thinking behind it is you should have done your due diligence to make sure that it was a credible outfit. Outfit. Correct. Now, in that, the that's example, the example that they gave in this article was that both the outfitter and the person that hunted were fined. So it's not just like a violation against you. Yeah, I figured they do something with the with the outfitters. Correct. Does this article go into the fact that it was multiple people? It's not just Bomar. Correct. It's multiple people. It was like 30 people. Well, this article doesn't. Okay. Other articles out there. Talked about it. They indicted around 30 people over involved with multiple, multiple state like situation and ordeal. Correct. So that's why it also went to the federal levels because it was Uh so many different states. Correct. Yeah. Um, If you pay a licensed outfitter but don't have a tag in your pocket, that act itself is a violation of the Lacey Act, because you are exchanging money to shoot wild game illegally. So if you have a tag, but it's not in your pocket on your person, that is a violation of the Lacey Act. 
Now, how do you think that, does that apply if you pay in advance? Or do you think it's like for the date of sort of thing? It's the date of, okay. I believe. Because I'm like, if you schedule because a hunt for will, next November, will, you know, pay them now. I don't have a license for that. People will book like hunts and stuff right. years in advance. Right. And I mean, clearly, I mean, even for like next year, I know people who have already booked hunts with different duck outfitters. Yeah. I mean, clearly the 2001, 2002 licenses aren't out yet. You can't buy them, so you don't have your duck stamp for it. Right. But they're still paid up for it. Gotcha. So it's more the yeah. day of sort of thing. Yeah. There's also I paid for a, oh, go ahead, Pure Ian. Body like almost two years out. What was uh, that? When I went to Cure Body or Christmas Island, I think I paid 20 months out or something like that. Yeah, yeah. but I don't really think that's long. an issue with the Lacey Act. The issue is... When you actually commit the crime, that's when the Lacey Act, not if you like pay oh. an unlicensed outfitter 20 months in advance, you're not committing a crime. When you pay an outfitter 20 months in advance, and then 20 months later you go on the hunt, and that license, that outfitter is not properly licensed, or you don't have a hunting license, that's when the Lacey Act is going to get gotcha. you. Yeah. So just paying someone isn't a violation of it. There has to be an illegal uh, kill or poaching of animals involved. That happens during it. That makes Correct. sense. Okay. Um, this one is also interesting and uh, good to be noted. Unlawful party hunting, which is when hunters shoot other hunters' game to fill tags or limits, can also get you in trouble. Every hunter is responsible for killing their own animal and properly tagging it. So, for example, right. if we all go on an elk hunt and we have four elk tags, you can't shoot two elk and I give you one of my tags. Right. That's a violation of the lace. Or tag. I give you my elk. Correct. Right, because technically you can't give me your tag, but I could be like, "Oh, landing kill." Correct. You're right. That or that's the theory, right? Yeah. That you would say that, or it happens a lot with like bird hunting, right? Yeah, everyone well, goes out. You go duff hunting, and everyone throws the birds in the same pile. Right. So technically, that's a violation. It's a violation of unless the you act. know which birds are yours. Correct. I wouldn't huh. speak to Zach again if he took my elk tag. I know. Landed out there throwing around elk, and I'm like, let's, let's bring it back home to birds. Um, <laughs> um, TV host Chris Brackett of Fear No Evil uh, was pinched when he caught uh, when he shot two Indiana whitetail bucks on the same morning. He killed one, then a bigger buck came out. He killed the next one, and he got online and bought a tag for his cameraman. No. Yes. Wow. Yep. Oh my And gosh. it cost him thirty thousand dollars in his TV career. Ooh. Dang. And that it should. Yeah, yeah. It definitely should. Okay. Still, Here's well, another crazy. Lacey Act violation. If you unknowingly un, uh, unknowingly accept wild game meat from someone who killed an animal illegally, you can be prosecuted under the Lacey Act. How do you avoid this? Um, Lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> so really, so. You cannot. If I mean, you that makes sense, I guess, because if you accidentally buy a what, like a hot item, right? Mm -hmm. You can be in trouble for that, even though you're not the one who stole it. If Cliff goes hunting, I doubt it happens, but yes, yeah, if, I doubt the DA is going to take you down. If if Cliff, uh, I'll do Jordan because he doesn't have a mic on and can't argue. <laughs> <laughs> if Jordan, if Jordan goes hunting and then uh, shoots a deer illegally and he's like hey you want some like you want some of this you want some of my tenderloin i got or you want some ground or whatever and i accept it i'm in violation of the lacey act is my due diligence to make sure that he legally took that Obtained. game before i accept any meat from that game that's crazy cuz i bet yeah. there's a lot of people who don't know that and also a lot of people who do this on mm -hmm. the like regularly every year yeah um 
One penalty that is much stiffer is if you unknowingly transport illegally taken game across state lines. That's where they get a lot of people. Um, right, oh, no, no, illegally, no, 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 no. right? Illegally. This is the interesting one. Me and Cliff go on a hunt. Okay. Um, Cliff's my friend. I is, I'm assuming that he's taking an animal legally, but we're driving my vehicle. So we go on a hunt. Cliff illegally takes a takes wild game. I'm assuming it's legal because he's my friend and I think I would trust him, but we drive that deer back in my truck. I'm in violation of the Lacey Act because my vehicle is transporting wild game. Again, it's my due diligence to make sure that the people that I'm hunting with and associated with know their um, stuff. Know their stuff. Are not breaking the Correct. Um, also, we've talked about CWD. Yep. If you do not appropriately check for CWD in places that it's, it's legally, required. legally required, then you are also in violation of the Lacey Act. Okay. The civil penalty for breaking the Lacey Act can cost you up to $10,000 per offense. Criminal penalties may result into a $20,000 fine and five years in prison. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the federal government can also seize any property used in committing the crimes. Um, plus, you can have your hunting licenses revoked for, for life, right? As long as the judge wants you to have your hunting or fishing license yeah. revoked. Um, the laws are in place. The laws are in place to deter folks from poaching game, introducing non-native species to our environment, and to prevent the spread of animal diseases, diseases like CWD. And that, that ensures our wild game populations remain sustainable. And why the Lacey Act continues to be relevant after 100 years. Um, and well, like they come up with n the tag numbers, like you can kill X amount of deer a year based on hunters who buy tags and hunters who use their tags. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of illegal stuff going on. There's no way for them to actually track yeah. that. And the original purpose of the Lacey Act was passed to stop the mass killing of wildlife populations that occurred during the market hunting era. It outlawed the interstate shipment of illegally killed wild game and also the killing of birds for the sale of their feathers. There have been a handful of amendments to the Lacey Act. Um, so that's where I've heard of the Lacey Act. It's when I was talking about that in that book. Yeah, in the Feather Thief. Yeah, where it talked about um, yeah. all the feathers that were brought in because yeah. for hats and stuff like that. And, um, you know, if you think about, like, the market hunting era, too, like, the Lacey Act is probably hugely responsible for the wild game populations that we have today right. for shutting that down. Um there was also some, I'm just going to mention it. I don't know the stories, but what I thought was interesting, Gibson guitars and lumber liquidators are the two of the most highly publicized cases for tracking, for trafficking in illegal lumber because we talked about wildlife, but it's also plants. And so uh, the fines against lumber liquidators totaled more than $13 million. What about Gibson cool. guitars? Uh, they didn't say, but there's a link in the article. That's crazy. Yeah. So Gibson guitars. Isn't violated the Lacey Act by illegally importing, importing or transporting um, woods, woods that essentially been. Correct. That's crazy. Yeah. And the most important aspect of the Lacey Act for hunters and fishers is to hunt responsibly and to know the rules and regulations. That's going to be twice today. Mic drop. Know your laws. So... That's good. There like is way more information in that article. That was a brief summary of straight up four pages of writing that I skimmed through. But I recommend you guys go. It was super interesting. And like, there's a bunch of links and sources in here that you click through. 
Um, and you can like follow down that rabbit hole and you can go read about the lumber liquidators and Gibson guitars and see what happened. And um, the, uh, it was outdoorlife.com, right? Outdoorlife.com. I'm going to link, you know what? I'm going to link the article in the podcast yeah, notes. Cause that was great. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, very informative. All right. Ian, you are up with Neat Things in Nature. Okay, so whoa, whoa, whoa. we ha- well we have a new we have a new soundbite. We have a new soundbite for you, man. Yeah, listen. <laughs> I like it. That's pretty neat. <laughs> All right, Ian, you're up. Okay, um, we've got two different options. Do you want to hear one about an octopus from 2018 or one about a squirrel from 2020? Squirrel from 2020. Oh, see, I was feeling octopus, but I guess squirrel from 2020 is... Dude, the the octopus one is... What do you guys think? We'll take a vote. Well, he just said the octopus thing was, and then, like, left this big (laughs) cliffhanger. Now I'm, like, changing my mind. Right? (laughs) He's like, oh, the octopus one's the greatest. Let's take a vote. What do you guys think? (laughs) The octopus. Yeah, do the octopus. Yeah, do the squirrel next week. Make me cry about the octopus. Okay. This is from... (laughs) <laughs> this is from treehugger.com. <laughs> I don't know why. This was updated on a log October 11, 2018. Inky, the octopus like pen ink, escapes from aquarium through a drain pipe to the sea. <laughs> and uh in the tale of intrigue and during doe, this is from this happened in New Zealand. Um the crafty cephalopod still slipped out of his enclosure and found his way to freedom. Um, yeah, th- so this n- the National Aquarium in New Zealand had this octopus named Inky, and apparently he escaped down a drain pipe. So, uh, they, I, yeah, dude, so this is like real life Nemo, <laughs> dude. Dude, this is all, dude. This is awesome. So apparently the lid of his tank was left open and he climbed over the walls. So it says Inky made a mad dash. Well, more like a slow sidle for freedom, serving as an inspiration for confined pods everywhere. Dude, this is, dude, it gets so much better. Staff at the aquarium believed that in the thick of the night, who wrote this, dude? While the aquarium was empty, Inky discovered that his lid was left open after it had been cleaned. And he scrambled more than 10 feet to the drain. I added that scrambled part. Um, <laughs> apparently, apparently, he made his way through like 160 foot feet of pipe that goes into like the Hawks Bay on the North Island of New Zealand and like made his way to freedom. Um, Rob Yerl. So it sounds like he'd been playing this, man. So Rob Yerl, who's the national manager of the, uh, of the aquarium, said, um, Inky tested the waters out there. I don't think he was unhappy with us. This is a direct quote. Or lonely as octopus are solitary creatures. But he was curious. Uh, he would want to know what's happening on the outside. That's just his personality. <laughs> um, oh, man. Inky's, Yerl, my, Inky's my animal, man. I love this guy. Dude. Yerl also said Inky was unusual intelligent and he was very friendly inquisitive and a popular attraction he said they have another octopus named blotchy but he's smaller than inky <laughs> and he said inky had, yeah blotchy and inky and he said inky had more personality so um so let and me then 
Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask this. How did they find Inky in the bay? And if they found him, did they, like, just scoop I him? I think. <laughs> I don't. Like, that's a great question. So let me answer that. I think what, from this, it sounds like they found the lid, and then they, were, they probably searched the building and were like, where did he go? And then they found this drain pipe, like, 10 feet away, and then they were like, oh. Um, but they... They interviewed uh, Yarol again, and he said, um, they asked him basically what happened, and he said, you never know. There's always a chance Inky could come home to us. Um, <laughs> and they also said he didn't even leave a message. He just left. <laughs> so, yeah, to your point, Hunter, I think, you know, like, it's like they probably the deduced it. Like, I don't think like, Inky came back, but... <laughs> It's like New- dead. yeah, octopus be escaping in New Zealand, man. This is in 2018, but I thought it was amazing. Not I'll to, send you guys not to freak out any of our like New Zealand listeners, but if you're like using the bathroom, just make sure you <laughs> don't get some sucker. <laughs> that, that that drain pipe didn't go to the ocean. It's like just the the whole system, and never right. never know who's popping up. Right, see some tentacles coming up. Not fun. That's great, man. That's great, Ian. And there there's like photos too, like. If you guys go to treehugger.com backslash <laughs> backslash inky dash octopus dash dash escape dash aquarium dash through drain pipe, it'll show you like photos of like where his tank was and then like where the drain was. And like the photos are amazing because it was clearly taken on like a Motorola razor and someone just like drew on a napkin. <laughs> like it's like it's like handwritten. Like, sorry, National Aquarium of New Zealand, but I mean, that's what it looks like. I'm not saying they did that. But, yeah. Ian, can you give that uh, URL again? Yeah, I'm writing this down, so I need to. I need to Dude, there was more. Dude, that was the abbreviated one. I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Man, I'm excited for more treehugger.com. Yeah, that's a solid one. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Inky makes it all the way through 160 feet of pipe, and he like gets to the bay. And he's like, for three seconds, he's like, oh, my oh. gosh, this is awesome. And then, like, some big fish comes just, <laughs> dude, you, dude, you know Inky was like, this is my chance. He had been plotting it. <laughs> and he had been plotting it for years, dude. Like, it's like oh. a, a bad episode or a bad uh, remake of uh, Finding Dory. No. Shark bait. What was Ooh. that? What was that? <laughs> Sharknado? <laughs> No, you're thinking fish. I'm thinking uh, my, octo- my octopus teacher. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. Is it any good? <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, but here it's pretty emotional. Um, no, I was thinking uh, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> he has a poster in his yeah, aquarium, a little aquarium poster, and he's been carving out the lid uh-huh. for years. For years, yeah. Exactly. Using his beak. <laughs> had to wait for the perfect thunderstorm to crack the pipe. Right, wait until socialization time where he would leave the rest of the of the drain pipe. It's great. I liked it. Oh man, Ian, that was great. All right, guys, dude, it? I'm I'm looking more about it. Apparently, like every major news outlet covered it. <laughs> <laughs> and you chose to source the tree hugger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Hey, man. Treehugger needs love, too. All right, Zach, you ready to rock and roll? I am ready. Are you guys ready? All right, here we go. Creature Watch. 
All right, guys. So today I have brought you the story of the Ahul. Has anybody heard of it before? Mm-mm. Yeah. Spell it. No. A H O O L. The Ahul. Okay. Ahul. So deep within the rainforest of Java, Indonesia, lives a flying creature rarely seen. And there's actually no material evidence. There's not even a blurry photo this week. Mm. So, um, what the Ahul is, it has been documented as a flying cryptid or a creature, right? But it looks like a bat. It looks like a giant bat, right? Ooh, let me see. Uh, no, I some, got an advertisement for Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> some say it might be a living pterosaur or like a pterodactyl, right? Um, or it could be a flying primate. Like some sort of creature that we haven't seen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so some sort of flying primate. Um, on a side note, the rainforest of Java only has 5% of its original ecoregion back. So that's kind of sad. Mm. But uh, this isn't a sad story, right? This is Creature Watch. So it was. <laughs> it's a horror story. <laughs> it was first discovered in 1925, where a naturalist named Dr. Ernest Bartels was just exploring, right? He's out there in Java. I don't know what he's looking for. It didn't tell me. All I know is he was around a waterfall in Java, minding his own business, when suddenly he heard a large ahool come from above, right? So you can probably guess where the name comes from. Will you do that sound again? Ahoo. Okay. Cliff makes pretty good names. So, uh, Cliff, what do you think Ahoo sounded like? Yeah, let's hear your animal call for this creature. You're pretty good. It sounded like a hool. A hool. Cliff soundtrack's coming. That's pretty good. So immediately the doctor ran into a cave fearing for his life, right? And he kind of peeked out, and when he did, he saw this large winged creature flying around, right? And it scared him, so he kind of went back into the cave. And uh, when he came back out, the only thing that was there was a distant memory of the Ahul sound. So uh, two years later, he thought, you know, I'm going to go back to the Java rainforest, and I'm going to find this creature. Um, Unfortunately, though, the only thing he would see, the only thing he saw when he went back two years later was um, nothing. He would hear the Ahul calling to him at night, mm-hmm. uh, lying in his tent, but unfortunately he never saw it again. Uh, but there have been sightings throughout the years. Um, people have described it as having a wingspan of 10 to 15 feet wide, which is twice as wide as the largest known bat, which is the flying fox, um, which is known to have a wingspan of five to seven feet. Which, I mean, like... This That's is a pretty big wingspan for a bat. <laughs> gonna say this isn't about the flying fox but knowing that there's a flying rat out there that has a wingspan of five feet is pretty crazy yeah like because there's a crane like a sandhill crane wingspan like nine eight like eight to nine feet yeah so there's a there's a so a bat almost as big as a sandhill crane flying right. rat out there yeah at night that's nightmare <laughs> that's nightmare fuel that's when you use like a 10 gauge that's all <laughs> right that's that's why god Extended made the 10 tube yeah <laughs> Uh, it is two times the size. Yeah, okay. So we already went over that, right? We know it's two times the size of the flying fox. Uh, some say it has the wings of a demon bat. Uh, it has the face of a gorilla, 
and it has these large dark eyes that almost look like they can suck your soul out um, with red skin-like wings and large claws. Its body is covered in this gray fur, and uh, I like to think it might have the skin of its victims kind of just like wedged in there somewhere. So. Like in its beard. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like when you get Fruit Loops and corn stuck in your exactly. facial hair. Right. Every now and then I have some fuzz. I'm like, I wasn't around fuzz at all. What facial hair? So, though it mainly eats local birds and fish, it has been known to eat people. Um, and it says rumors are that it likes to feed mainly on people who take from the rainforest. Mm. So, uh, people take the take the wood, take the leaves. I don't know, you know, like Gibson guitars. They may be haunted by the hool. I don't yeah. Know. To uh, be fair, he hasn't been doing a very good job. If it's five percent left, yeah, yeah. that's uh, you know what. Well, there's only one left, so it's like <laughs> break. Right. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> Actually, uh, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the lady hools are social creatures. So uh, and they hold on to their young for for years. So. All together as a family, they're doing a pretty pretty bad job. Um, where are the where is Java at? It's in Indonesia. Okay. Uh, so they're extremely territorial, and they will protect protect their forests at all costs. Uh, others have claimed it looks like a pterodactyl, right? And he uses his long jutted mouth to unfortunately break the necks of people and then it would carry them around before they died and show them the rainforest. So well, I mean, that's nice of them. Yeah, <laughs> but it's more of like a look what you did sort have of you, thing. I mean, have you ever tried to do like a helicopter tour anywhere? That's expensive. Right. So, I mean, I guess, you know, <laughs> if, if you know what, if your last view was of a rainforest, I guess that's not a bad way to go. Yeah. But you're being scolded by a giant bat <laughs> at the same time. With a freaking gorilla face. <laughs> like your soul's being sucked out through its eyes. Your skin's like slowly. I mean, everything, everything has its price. Um, Pay hundreds of dollars for a helicopter tour over some crappy lake or get your soul sucked out by the Ahul and see the Indonesian rainforest. Exactly, right? You know, Are those the only two options? <laughs> like, that's it. Ian, you're going to meet those pearly gates and that's it. <laughs> Which one do you want to pick? Um, Ian's going to be like Inky and make for the, for the, <laughs> the nearest storm drain. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, so the next time you're out fishing and you're throwing whatever into the river, just think about it. Do you want to be a giant winged gorilla food? Or do you want to you know, just keep going? I mean, what a way to go, though. <laughs> the obituary. <laughs> Next time you leave 500 yards of fishing line floating down the river. Exactly. Think about the old. Right? Yeah. Um, we, did you give us a year, though? Oh, yeah, I do have a year. Uh, I did give it to you guys. Hear it? I don't remember the very it. very beginning, early 1900s, right? Yeah, you guys can guess. What do you think? think March sounds like 2003. Not as, remember pre nineteen ninety five. That's the established is rule. The status. Fine, Mark. And last time we called Zach out on that, we were wrong because the San Antonio Zoo <laughs> lied to us. <laughs> I was like, guys, I do my research. Okay, Man, they're never getting my paper. <laughs> um, going to the San Antonio Aquarium now. <laughs> oh my! Don't go there. <laughs> it's pretty sad. My lady stole that shark. From <laughs> Wait, a lady stole a shark from there? How do you not know this? Yes. <laughs> I do not know this. This happened a couple years ago. Yeah, she was... She t- 
On a side note, guys. Yeah, she took a, she took a stroll there with like a fake. No, time out, time out. I'm going to report on this next week on On Patrol. Yes. This is on, my category. Report on the lady who stole a shark. From the San Antonio Aquarium. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got this for next week. Granted, there can't be that great of security there. I mean, it's legitimately in a shopping center. Yeah. No, it's his own little thing. Yeah, but it looks like a shopping center. It does. It's it's, it's me and McKenna went. Did oh, you was, guys go to the aquarium? How was it? Was it sketched down? Uh, it wasn't very clean. It was pretty sketchy. <laughs> yeah, no part of that looked great. Could you see how a lady stole a shark? Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> From the outside, I'm like, I could probably walk out with three sharks. No, they let window. you like touch like certain like exhibits. Like if there's like stingrays and stuff, you can actually like reach in and touch them. So I could easily see how a lady would like reach in and grab a shark and yeah. Bolt. Landon's so like, I have three sharks in my aquarium. <laughs> 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 they just don't know about it. What else do you test your flies on, guys? It's yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, so that was it. That was the Ahul. Uh, I thought it was pretty great. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Guessing dates. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you think? I already said it. But 1935. Uh, 1917. Okay. I wasn't paying attention at all. Yes, what do you think? I don't remember the date, honestly. Uh, March 12th. 19 all about his marches tonight 28 okay Ian what do you think uh February 1809 I don't have the month or the day I just have the year but you did Jordan what do you think oh, Lord. Uh, 1905 okay Cliff was the closest it was 1925 and I didn't pay attention at all <laughs> just, just winging it <laughs> <laughs> Almost a hundred years ago, guys. Hey, what are we gonna do in five years for the anniversary? Anniversary of probably the still being her still bro. Or the a hole or the anniversary of Honey Hole Hangout. Ooh, five year anniversary and a one hundred year anniversary. You have to go to Indonesia and dress up as bats. That seems dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to get shot by a 10 gauge <laughs> I don't think Indonesia <laughs> no, what My doing? question is Have they ruled out like all the birds in the rainforest That like make that sound I don't know. Did they report on that at all They said no I'm the only mm. one not married <laughs> So can we go to Indonesia and dress as the Ahul For a bachelor party Oh for your bachelor party? Yeah. You want to dress as little? <laughs> Are you getting married in five years? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he is. <laughs> now I am. I have a deadline. <laughs> Honey, we're getting married in five and a half years. <laughs> we got to celebrate the centennial of the old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, guys. That was that was that's the end of my That's segment. all of our segments. But before we get on to our last thing. I want to uh, talk about that video I sent you guys. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Hunter hasn't seen it, but I'll send it to Hunter afterwards. But it's about, um, um, you know. That, that, I almost got in trouble for you sending that to me at work. You need to mark it not safe for work <laughs> next time, Landon. No. I don't so, know what you're whoa, about. Wait, you opened it at work? <laughs> <laughs> so it was a fish release video. But what they did is they set up an experiment with a guy wearing a glove in the act of releasing a fish into a tank where they could monitor what happens after you release a fish with a gloved hand. Because the common, you know, proper fish handling techniques would say that don't wear a glove when you release a fish. 
you know, touch fish with your bare hands, specifically, more specifically, trout. And this is what the video was, so that's one I want to clarify as well. And also wet bare hands, not just bare hands. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, wet your hands. Or just dip them in the water, grab your fish, release. Um, what a glove does, if you're wearing a glove or dry hands, you're removing the protective slime coat on the fish when you release it, and uh, it could cause damage to the fish. And what we saw in this video was that uh, they did a timeline of up to two weeks. It was like, yeah, I think like 14 days at the end. Within four days, there was a noticeable change of like infection on the trout's tail. It was pretty crazy. It was like, it looked like somebody took a knife every day and just carved away more of this trout tail. Correct. Yeah. And within two weeks, it looked horrible. Yeah. It honestly, like the tail was all jagged. The actual Mm -hmm. fin itself um, the part where they had grabbed it yeah. was like raw, just straight fish meat. It was, it was weird. Yeah. Um, definitely eye opening for sure. Yeah, a pretty common thing you'll see on like Instagram is like swim away just fine, or people say, "Oh, it's swim away fine," or someone gets right. called out for like improper like fish handling techniques. They'll be like, "Swim away just fine." They'll be like fingers in the gills of a trout, <laughs> yeah. and they'll be like, "Don't worry, guys, swim away just fine." I cut off its fins, <laughs> but it's good. <laughs> But uh, I think it was a pretty informative, for sure, informative video. And kind of on another note too, I can only imagine that a cloth fishnet would do a similar thing. Yeah, right. Because yeah. like that glove is made pretty much of the same thing as like yeah, like a one, nylon. You like could have a, a nylon mesh. glove, and mesh is probably nylon, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to do the same thing. And that's why like rubber nets. They're more expensive. Rubber nets are more expensive, but definitely. Are, are better for the fish and don't remove that slime coat. For sure. And, and apparently, cool. if you're net. worried about gloves, apparently there are gloves on the market that do not remove the slime coat of fish. Now, with me saying that, do your own research and make sure that this is actually a real thing. But I have heard of fly fishing specific companies advertising gloves right. that don't remove the slime coat of fish. Or once you get your fish to the rubber net, just take off your gloves. Yeah, so yeah. W- when I was working at the fly shop, my like when people were buying gloves, my recommendation to them was to do this. And this is what I like to do, especially when it's cold, because you're most likely going to be wearing gloves when it's cold. Um, or if you're wearing sun gloves like at the coast, that's another thing you need to be careful of is mm-hmm. removing those sun gloves. But, you know, most times trout fishing is going to be colder weather. Hands are probably going to be cold. Don't want to get your gloves wet, so remove your gloves. Stick them in your waders. That'll keep them warm while you're handling a fish. Also bring like a hand towel with you. Um, And then, so take your gloves off, keep the hand towel, stick them in your waders. Um, Handle the fish, release it. Your hands are cold and they're wet. Take your towel, dry your hands, and then you can put your hands back into when they're dry, your warm gloves. Because the wet is going to take away a lot of the heat, so you don't want to put your wet hands back into your gloves. How does a cast iron skillet and like, Aluminum foil and lemon seasoning affect the fish. Hey, man. <laughs> and a delicious one. <laughs> and a delicious one. What's that do to the slum? Yeah, if, if you're keeping your fish and you know you're going to keep every single one you touch, it doesn't matter. I don't care. But if your end game is to catch and release, yeah. treat them right, right? Do it well. Yeah. yeah. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. 
and only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. From now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and TBS. And it's yeah. not that hard to find good fish handling techniques. No. I do get your sentiment, though, Cliff. Fish are good. Yeah, they are. Especially yeah. <laughs> trout. Right. Trout is real Oh, man, good. like smoke trout, skin on. Man, that's the way to do it. You know who I bet has good fish handling techniques? Dude, I want to be there when Cliff is, like, hauling a five trout stringer out of the <laughs> drama loop. <laughs> He's dragging wrong. He's dragging wrong. Are you um, on the lease? No, I'm not. No. I didn't have any rubber gloves, so they said this is the next best thing. <laughs> All right. It's so. going to be a nylon stringer, the one that you stick straight through the gills to. Yeah, or the one that goes through their jaw. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it swam off fine. It swam away. It swam, and Cliff is like, it swam away fine. Catch and release into the skillet. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, though, one of the best, like, backcountry mills like quote unquote backcountry mills was uh me and one of my buddies went camping in north georgia and we call some little rainbows and stuff and we went back to the campfire and grilled them grilled them up and uh we had biscuits with us so we just placed them on the biscuits and ate them. it was delicious yeah. that sounds really good it was delicious yeah that sounds really good oh yeah when you're camping like especially like fresh fish is like one of the best things you know. Yeah, so good. Yep. Um. So we brought on Hunter today. We were trying to decide on like a topic, but we decided Hunter was going to be our topic because he Hunter's is a, a very interesting person. Yeah. Uh, man of many talents. So I guess we should start with the first two, the normal two. Uh, what got you into fly fishing and your most memorable catch? Mm-hmm. So start with those two, and then we'll kind of we'll, go into. We'll more drill detail. you with questions after. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I yeah, know all you, of y'all through the old store. The, the old, old store. store. The okay. old store. Fly tying nights used to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pre COVID. Yeah, pre COVID. Um, all right. So, what got me into fly fishing? So, I have been, I grew up down on Lake Corpus Christi um, with literally the lake in my backyard. So, dream childhood for a, a boy with my interests. Grew up fishing conventional for most of my life, um, moved up here, and uh, my first time fly fishing um, was kind of spurred on through a friend of mine who had been fly fishing for a while. He highly suggested I get into it. Uh, my first time fly fishing was actually on the Dramalupe. Um, and my Who'd first, you fish with? Do we know that person? 
you may know him, Shane Kreitz. I do know Shane. Yeah, we so, got to send him this podcast. So he <laughs> shout he, out to Shane. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, he's the one who kind of got me into this whole mess that we call fly fishing. Me and Shane fished the Guadalupe one day, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, they only kept ten fish, so don't worry about <laughs> it. Uh, it was eleven, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I ended up not catching anything on my first time out. Uh, in fact, I broke the top part of my rod, um, but didn't stop me. I <laughs> bought a, like a replacement uh, eyelet from Cabela's, and I snipped off the top of the rod and put the new eyelet on and kept on fishing with my uh, what now I call my eight foot two. <laughs> <laughs> Completely customized Cabela's. Uh, and, uh, the next time I went out, I caught a trout, um, was hooked from there, man. I, I think I've picked up a conventional rod since I started fly fishing about five <coughs> years ago. I think I picked up a conventional rod maybe 10 times since then. It's yeah. most of, most any time I'm out on the water, it's always fly fishing. You just get hooked. Yeah. It's. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> we need the, we need the, <laughs> yeah, what is it? There it is. There we go. <laughs> um, most memorable fish. Wait, before you get into that, why why did fly fishing hook you over conventional fishing? Because I think there's um, some people that would be like, why would I fly fish when I could conventional fish? Yep. Um, so why? what is your answer to that question? So um, my kind of mentality for fishing, I've never liked bait fishing like at all. I, yeah. I just don't like it. I have to be lure fishing just because I have to be moving a lot. Yeah. Um, I am kind of an ADHD kind of guy, so um, just the whole art of casting and like flowing the river flowing if I'm fishing a river or just everything that happens on a flat or on a lake um, really drew me to the sport. Uh, and I mean... It's, it's weird because you're moving so much, especially with casting and all that stuff. But it, um, I've always told people this. Casting actually calms me down. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I get it. And it, I, I think it's just kind of the, the rhythm, uh, rhythmic part of casting. It really kind of calms you. And um, then if you're out on a Texas River or any kind of river out there, um, it's, I mean, you're part of nature. Um there's other things, especially fishing for trout, uh, too. Is, I mean, for one, uh, handling fish, I've always been kind of big on trying to, if I'm catching and releasing, I want to try and keep that fish uh, in the same, like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the same condition that I caught it in or better. Right. Um, so trying to minimize, uh, like, treble hooks or... Um, anything like that that can tend to tear some stuff up um that kind of drew me to it but then also like getting into all uh the bug bug life and um all the different kinds of uh like bugs and insects and uh like different types of bait fish that flies represent uh really intrigued me um and that kind of pushed me over to fly tying as well Mm -hmm. so yeah man Cool. What was the follow-up question? Uh, most memorable most catch. Most memorable catch. So, um... Wait, can I guess? Sure. 
<laughs> is it the grass carp? No. Um, although that would be a close second. Oh. That's the one you I'll caught on like the, the bright red. Yeah. The uh, scorpion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So little plug for fish chase flies, man. <laughs> that thing, that stupid little scorpion fly catches everything. We need, <laughs> to, we need to get Chase on the podcast. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, so also this fish was also caught on a scorpion, um, but it was a yellow one. Uh no, it wasn't. It was that orange one, that yeah. that little Cheeto fly. Um, <laughs> Cheeto fly. I was fishing for carp. Um, I was walking around a clear Texas stream, and um, about 30 yards away from me, I saw something kind of blue, bluish, really kind of tall, moving towards me, and I thought it was a a um, uh, a, a drum. Yeah, a freshwater, a freshwater drum, Jasper Gear. Yep. Yeah, um, and I hadn't caught one of those at the time, so I was like, oh, man, I would really like to catch that thing. So I put a cast out to it, and the fish, like, straight up charged it, putting a wake before itself, like, charging it, and then so swiped it like, at it. Yeah, like, and no I was question. Like, That's not a drum. <laughs> <laughs> and um, about halfway through, I found out it was a striper. Oh, um, man. And it was a... Uh, I don't think I measured it, but it was probably around 22, 24 inches long. A striper that I caught on a scorpion. Man. Totally unexpected. I didn't even know striper were in this section of river that I was in. Um, Is Okay, so since you have fished that section of river maybe mm -hmm. more times than one, do you feel like that was a one-off situation? or no. you feel okay. like there's just striper there? Mm-hmm. Yep. See, the only striper I've ever caught was the first time I ever went fly. Well, like, so I went fly fishing, and then went fly fishing a second time with my own gear after yep. I, like, you know, was like, oh man, I drank the Kool Aid. And then I caught the striper, and I thought I <clears throat> didn't know anything about fish, didn't know anything about fishing. And I was like, oh, this is a Guadalupe bass, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to take a picture because, like, I'm going to catch a million more of these. I was out here for, like, five minutes, you know. And uh, I come to find out it was a striper. So <laughs> I was like, Dang. you know, it wasn't big. It was only, like, this big. Um, definitely was not a white bass. But That's been an argument. It definitely. So now it definitely was not a white bass. I know for a fact it was not. Okay. Um, but, yeah. So pretty cool. one off. So. Those things are pretty interesting. Yeah, it was awful that I did not take a picture. So. Yeah. yeah. Now I don't believe you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nobody believes me. It was a white bass. It was, white bass. Yeah. it was not a white bass. It was not angled. It was like super narrow. Oh man, it was a skinny white. Bass. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go to my graves. You know, as a striper. Oh, they're cool fish. Um, totally oh, yeah. unexpected. That was a that was a uh, spot that I had found through Google Earth, um, and I had went there, and it was like. A dream spot um not only in uh, uh catching that striper but also catching quite a few carp so yeah that was a fun one have you got any more striper there since i have not i've seen them there a couple times uh -huh. uh, but i have not that's why you said your main uh mo right now is tied up flies for striper right uh correct in the last couple of weeks um i've been following suit again with ch <laughs> fish chase flies or chase smith um and uh, tying up some really big game changers, nine and ten inch game changers, and um, what's really your what's your go to color pattern for those? Rainbow trout. Okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it makes sense, right? They're there. Um, no, I have a rainbow trout one that's about nine inches. Um, I've tied that's a, up. That's a big guy. So yeah, you're you're big. not like 
you know, like I think I have a couple game changers that are three to four inches. So you're like really throwing some chunky guys. So this uh, this game changer I think has fourteen shanks, um, fourteen different sections. Yeah. Two okay, hooks. that's it's a, huge. It's a big one. So what are you throwing it on? Nine weight. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Are line. you casting it on thought nine weight or are you chunking it on a nine weight? Uh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like a fly fishing version of a bait caster. <laughs> you're so, you're throwing it with your hand yeah. and then stripping it in. Yeah, basically <laughs> just one lob and it's out there. I'm actually tying it on conventional gear. <laughs> That's great. Um, no, it's uh the ones that I've tied so far are with feathers. Okay, um, the feather ones are nice. The feather game changers, and it sheds water a l- really quickly like the first cast is like a it gets wet thick sock. yep uh, exactly have you uh have you been tying any on feathers that you may or may not have acquired from myself yes. during covid <laughs> <laughs> yes so yeah um i bought like what was it 10 or 15 at least from landon oh man chase smoked you though he oh, bought like I 35 know. i know no, i'm still salty about he, that he maybe <laughs> he maybe bought 30 and i threw like 10 extras in there of your feathers of the uh hen saddles yeah yeah he did throw 10 extra for mine no i think i threw some extras in there <laughs> you did <laughs> um yeah i still have a couple of those they uh they go away quick though. yeah it's not <laughs> well, especially it's when 14 <laughs> chain. yeah oh yeah. man yeah the good thing is though i mean with those hen saddles you can probably like you have the big feathers and you can work your way down to the smaller as you work your way down the shanks so on that big one especially that rainbow trout um i ended up like having to subsidize the biggest saddle feather I had for a turkey flat, um, which is quite a bit bigger than uh, most of the hackle that I have on a, a so hand saddle. You trim it up? No. Um, I was actually able to find some that were the right size and then Dang. go up. But, I mean, the head on the thing is like three inches yeah. across. <laughs> and it, the, 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 the hook that uh, makes up the head of the fly is a 6 aught. No. What, what hook? <laughs> what hook? Is, yeah. What hook oh is it? Oh my gosh! Uh, it's a Gamagatsu. Um, oh, I don't know the code. B10s? No, that's my go to. Man, it's I love a, that hook. It's a stainless steel uh, hook that they make for saltwater. Gotcha. I think it's a G G10 something or another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's six aught, and then I have a I have a one aught hook in the back as well. Oh, so like a trailer hook. So. Um, oh, you have a trailer. Estimated mm-hmm. value. Of one of these. No, 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 no. <laughs> but if you no, were no, to, no, no, right, no. how much would you pay for this fly? If I bought it, um, what would you expect to pay? Probably at least 50. 50 bucks. Yeah, it takes a long time. Dude, That's how many are you I'm losing? Not not one. <laughs> I'm swimming. That, that, that's the one dude crossing the Colorado yeah. territory. Yeah, I'm, get, yeah. I'm getting that ticket. <laughs> if it breaks off in a striper's mouth, I'm diving in, catching that striper. Man. Um, How long does it take you to tie one up? That one, just because I I made the shanks. Um, oh yeah, I was gonna say, are you making the shanks yourself? I made those shanks myself. Yeah. I made the brush, the support brushes. I took all the feathers off of the the hackle and all that stuff. That one ended up taking about three hours to do. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So forty fifty bucks. I still want. Um, I I saw a rattlesnake that you tied that looked <laughs> very good. You yeah. spinning deer hair for spinning it? deer hair? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I told oh, I told Hunter that we needed to go up to the Lano do a float where we just fished the rattlesnake and filmed it. I'd probably do better than taco. 
Yeah, well, I think the ta- the day didn't work out. For the, the day taco. was the taco issue, correct? Yeah, for sure. Give it like three years, and the, when the Lano just is stock full of yeah. massive, yeah, massive bass. Be a few more years after yeah. that massive flood, and things are actually back. Man, to I don't know. Up, I I know like in Mason and that whole stretch got wiped out from the flood, but this past year, fishing up Smoking? Junction, yeah. we fished the, the South there's Lano some south up at the South Lano. Yeah, there are some there's some fish there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we fished a couple of times up there. There was quite a few. Caught a really nice uh, Guadalupe bass up there. One of my bigger ones. Nice. You mean yeah. a striper? Yeah. <laughs> White bass. White bass. Yeah. Dang, I should never share that story. Just kept it to myself. So we'll, we'll need to get with you on a snake on a rattlesnake fly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a long tie too. Yeah. So I how can many, only imagine. How many uh, links you put in that? Can you give me like four seconds? Yeah, we sure. can give you Tell some time. You. Yeah, so um, while he's looking it up, Hunter um, tied up a rattlesnake fly, spinning deer hair, and it looks really good. Have you casted it, Hunter? Yeah, I did. Is uh, it castable? It is on an eight weight. Okay. Um, and it actually casted Dang, a lot he's heated. better. Than <laughs> <laughs> it actually casted a lot better than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um and it turned out really good. I, I, I'd like to make another one. This one was made for a friend that went on a uh, float on the Pico, Pecos. Mm-hmm. Pecos. Pecos. Um, and so I don't have this one currently, but I'd like to make another one. Um, it's six shanks. Okay. So, uh, it's not It's not super big, but it swam like a snake. snake. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool, man. So... Um, uh, you have a new child. I do. And how has you, pre-child, I know you've been a guy that gets to hunt and fish a lot. And has that changed um, much since the baby was born? Like, like, how has your hunting and fishing changed since that happened for someone that's very active? So um, I will say a lot of, a lot of uh, my fishing kind of revolves around my work. Um, like I'm able to schedule off a couple hours and go for a lunch trip every once in a while, mm-hmm. which does really help because I'm already gone for work. I can make the ex- excuse of going to uh, to fish and not have to take time away from uh, being with my wife or the baby. So that's kind of helped out on some of my trips here, especially lately. Um, my my son is now just over six weeks old, so it's still pretty new. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have a very gracious wife that lets me pursue my hobbies, um, even on some of the weekends. Uh, I think the bigger bigger thing now is that most of my trips are uh, not very long, mm-hmm. not as long as they used to be. For uh, sure. Uh, so, And that, I'm sure, will kind of fluctuate as we go through time and mm-hmm. uh, the kid gets a little older. I, I can imagine, and I don't know, but I can imagine that, you know, fishing trips turn more into a lot more, maybe more fly tying. Uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah, I do. A, I've done a lot of fly tying here in the last six weeks. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, is totally fine. I needed to restock some of my yeah. <laughs> stuff. Some of your anyway. $50 game changers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, even since he was born, I've killed a couple axis on a evening hunt, and I've gone out several times uh, fishing. So I'm still able to kind of pursue some of that. Um, but I do. It's in, it's interesting because I do have 
like something like even more than uh, my wife being at home. I now have a baby at home. So it's like, I want to get home from work that much quicker and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. well, um, like you're excited to get home. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I was before. Right, right. But I imagine having a baby is just like that much more yeah. exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, it definitely has changed uh, in the last six weeks, but it's, it's not a bad change. It's a good change because yeah. you're replacing something with something that's equally or much better. Yeah. Um, so I haven't had any complaints thus far. It's been awesome. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your access hunt. Did, uh, uh, was that pretty fun? And, uh, you have any good stories from that hunt? It was fun. Um, the, the access that we took, uh, we went hunting in the evening without too much, uh, action going on. It was a little bit warm that evening. Um, and we didn't see anything too much or too much come into the field right before, like, the dead of dark we saw some axis come into a field about 800 yards away um and uh we got in the gator and uh ran them down and shot one and then uh ran down another herd and shot another one um, <laughs> dang that's nice but how uh, big were these herds so the first one had uh six or seven and the second one had maybe 10 or 12 um, was this with a outfitter or on like family land? This is a friend uh, of ours that we they have a couple hundred acres out towards Sisterdale, um, and the axis are actually a nuisance to them out there. They have hay fields, um, and their whole their whole place is high fenced, but they have seasonal creeks that run through it. So um, there's a couple of holes in the fence that they can get through, and they come and just destroy their hay fields. Well, really? Like just get big just herds. give them my number. I'll yeah. If <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a nuisance. Yeah. So we uh, we killed a couple of those, and then we ran down a hog in this field and shot them like 18 times with an AR, so that was fun. <laughs> just ran <laughs> chasing them down. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, it was fun. Uh, I made a, like a 150-yard shot in the dark, like spotlighting something, mm-hmm. and I hit him right behind the shoulder. So, yeah. That's fun. pretty great. Nice. <laughs> um, you guys have any other questions? Ian, do you have any questions for Hunter? Wait, you shot one hog ten times? Uh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was an AR-15, and it was uh, being chased down with a side-by-side. I mean, the scoop, spooky black gun? Nice. I mean, I have an AR, but I've never pulled the trigger ten times in a row. Just this is this field like encompasses like 120 acres. It's a massive Uh, field. Okay, so So it's a really widespread piece of property. Yeah, you get the side by side going out there. You can chase something down and chase it for a little while before it hits brush. So. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I was like, dang. I was like, how big was this hog? Because you know they get huge. Like you always see pictures of those yeah, like uh, plus I pounds or three hundred. Lone Star Outdoor Show, or someone, yeah. someone posted a picture of a four hundred pounder. Holy cow! Yeah. yeah. That's a big hawk. That's what I was wondering, like, Hunter, if you had done that. Um, I was going to say, what would you recommend to people uh, just getting into fly tying? Uh, YouTube don't. is your friend. <laughs> don't close that stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, so there, there's kind of a funny saying, especially for some of the commercial fly tires out there. I'm not a commercial <coughs> fly tire, but uh, it, it goes like if you, you can be a millionaire being 
becoming a fly, a, a fly tire if you're you start out a billionaire. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I have way too many materials at my house. Um, some of them don't always get used, but uh, I always buy stuff when I go to fly or uh, fly shops because they they look pretty, they look cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. YouTube is your friend. Um, buy good tools. Don't yeah. don't mm. buy the kits because they mm. they uh, they can make it kind of terrible sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As soon as I upgraded from a little kit to like a real vice and real tools, mm-hmm. my whole outlook on fly tying changed. Yeah, and I, what I like to say on yeah, that, especially go from to reiterate to reiterate, reiterate that point is like people that work on cars, people that work on their houses, they buy good tools. Yep. And if you're wanting to get into fly tying, using good tools makes a difference. Buy once, cry once. Buy once, cry once. Hey, Ian, uh, you have any closing words of wisdom? Man, I was trying to think about that. Um, <laughs> I would say, what did we do last time? Tag the wrong location. <laughs> yeah, for don't hotspot your honey hole. Yeah, don't. <laughs> tag the wrong location. Drama Lupe is a hot tag this time I of year. I saw that. Who created that tag? Uh, I would say. I think it's Matt. Uh, or um, not Matt. I'll get go ahead. Okay, Sorry. Okay, okay. It's, cutting okay. It, it's cutting in and out. Um, I would say don't. Don't be mean online, but don't be able to afraid to troll people either. <laughs> like, there's some people they were like posting in like really famous fly fisher people who were sponsored by a bunch of brands that aren't related to fly fishing that I was trolling online, and I was just like, "That's a really nice fit, like carp." And it wasn't a carp; it was like a brown trout. <laughs> so I would just say, I couldn't have make this sure carp that my CBD you oil. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> dude. We're gonna get in so much trouble. I would say, uh, I would just say, hold people accountable online, but don't be a jerk about it. Okay. Okay. Very reasonable. Ooh, that was a gust. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think so, that's good. Ian. Yeah. I liked it again. All right. That's all I've got. All I'm right, not calling him. anybody out. We're not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but we're also. Never mind. Just no, go. No, Just play the credits. Hey, yeah. and <laughs> if you guys uh, write a review, please, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, check out at Fly Fishing Hunter on Instagram. Yeah. And uh, follow us on Instagram, which you probably do. Check out our website if you want to buy your loved one a Honey Hole Angling swag. It makes a perfect holiday gift. Yes. Mm. Do we have for any Honey Hole like... For the angler that has everything. For the angler that has All right, guys. On that note, we'll see you next week. Let's get out of here. I'm tired and it's cold. (laughs)